well-known Buddha. Here in Burma, this Buddha is recited at almost every big ceremony. And not only that, in many monasteries, in many nunneries, and also in many houses of lay people, this Buddha is recited on a daily basis. And as I said last night during the chanting, at that time it was most likely that somewhere, somebody here in Burma was reciting the Metta Sutta. And I dare say that even right now, at this moment, the Metta Sutta is somewhere recited here in Burma or anywhere in the world. So today, I also want to pick uh, three verses from the Metta Sutta in which the Buddha lays the foundation for the actual practice of Metta, the foundation for our Metta meditation practice. So, I know we don't have marks for different verses separately, but the verses number four and five are the verses where it says, Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, or missing none, the great or the mighty, the medium, the short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. And then another verse is, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. So regarding the verses number four and five, what is needed to be able to have a benevolent attitude toward all living beings? The one aspect is instead of seeing differences, we should see what all living beings have in common. So to see our shared humanity in regard to human beings and to see that all forms of life are precious. To see that we share to be aligned with other living beings. Because yes, we are all living beings. And in one of the Meta chants, um, we have these expressions of Sabi Sattha, Sabi Panna, 
saben Uta, saben Kubala, saben Atabawa, Maria, Hanna. And as you have said, although these are five different words or expressions, but they basically mean the same thing. Just words to refer to all living beings. And the other word, part of world number six, there we are encouraged to see all beings as if they were our own child. So to extend the same love, to extend the same kindness to all beings as we do extend it to our own child. And those of you who are mothers, you know directly and personally of what the Buddha speaks. There is no doubt that the love of the mother is boundless and unconditional for her child. I mean, of course, there are exceptions. But usually, a mother loves her child to the extent that when it is still a small baby, she gets up at night and feeds her child or she comforts her frightened child, or when the child is already older, she tries everything to facilitate a good education. But also, of course, fathers love their children. They also have a strong bond to their kids. They also care for the well-being of their children. Again, here, there are exceptions. And it's not only the mothers and fathers, but also aunties and uncles, godmothers, godfathers, neighbors, or even strangers, extend their care and love to children. So, it's very natural that the mother um, feels love, care for her child. It um, seems that it is an almost biological imperative to favor the survival of the next generation or one's own survival. Because in some translations uh, it says just that the mother would protect her only child by risking her own life. So with these words, the Buddha encourages us to imagine what it feels like to love someone dearly. But to love dearly, not in the model of romantic love, but in this much broader context of love 
which is entirely feeling of love, which is not expecting anything in return. In the sense of this boundless love that just very simply but powerfully wishes for the well-being and happiness of the other. So with this image of this unconditional and boundless kindness or benevolence, we are invited or we can access this quality of metta. This can be the starting point. And then from there, the Buddha says, so with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings. So to extend it to other living beings. So this means a broadening of the scope of our metta, not to limit to a single being, like our beloved child, or any other chosen being, but to really open up the heart, make it boundless, so that this metta, this kindness, universal love radiates and encompasses all living beings. And with that we should understand that this quality of metta can be can go beyond the range of people we normally love or feel close to. So the Buddha points out that it's this measurement or boundless, limitless quality of the heart which wishes the happiness and well-being of every sentient being. And the Buddha also said that the heart, the mind, is capable of cultivating benevolence and friendliness for every living being. He said that all of us have the ability to overcome the limitations of the heart, that is, the limitations of prejudice, the limitations of irritation, the limitation of dislike or anger or energy. So if the heart, if the mind is able of such a benevolent state, why do we limit it? Why do we have boundaries? Or why do we set boundaries? Why do we set these limits? by personal likes and dislikes. Why do people set limits by race or nationality or sexual orientation 
or the color of the skin. Well, at the core or at the base of this limitation is the sense of me and others. So there is this strong sense of there is me, there is an ego, and this ego, this me, this I, needs to look after first of all. And then there is this I, this me, the sense of the ego that feels threatened by others. And so based on this strong sense of me, myself, I, then the ego does everything to make this me happy. I want to be happy. Or I need this to be happy. Or it's the other that stands in the way of my happiness. However, it is exactly this self-centered view that is the cause for our unhappiness. How can we be really happy when we harm others or when others are not happy? And that is why the Buddha encourages us to regard and love other beings as we love and care our own child. We surely do not harm our own child. And when our child is happy, we are happy too. So, instead of seeing the differences, we should see what we have in common with others with other living beings. So we should contemplate the fact that other people, that other living beings have the same basic desires and hopes. Namely, wanting to be happy, wanting to avoid pain and suffering. So now, Let's limit our soul to human beings. In South Africa, there is the notion of Ubuntu. Ubuntu means that we are human beings independent on each other. So this points out our shared humanity. It points to our shared humanness or being human. Because we share so much with others. As I said, of course, there are differences. But can you recognize that we share our humanity? that we share our being human. And if you are able to do so, 
then we feel already much closer to each other. So here is the story from South Africa, which illustrates the sense of Ubuntu and the fact that we can only be happy if others are happy too. And anthropologists offered a new game to the children of a tribe in South Africa. So this man, he put a basket filled with fruit near the tree and told the children that the one who was first to grab the basket could have all the fruit. And then he gave the signal to start, to start running. And after he gave the signal, the children took each other by their hand and ran together. Then they sat down around the basket and shared the fruit. And the anthropologist was surprised. And so he asked the kids why they did what they did and why nobody ran to grab, uh, to grab the basket themselves. And so they said, how can one of us be happy when the others are not happy? So these kids these kids from this uh, tribe in South Africa, they clearly recognize that my own happiness is dependent on the happiness of others. We, as human beings, have the tendency to put other people into different boxes. People we love, people we hate, people we respect, people we envy, people we want to be with, people we don't want to be with, people who are inspiring, people whose presence we can extend, and so on. And so, Putting people into these boxes with this or these boxes then alienate us from others, they create a huge gap. And as you know, with the practice of loving kindness of metta meditation. We try to eliminate these boxes of these categories. We try to eliminate these big gaps. So it can be very helpful to repeatedly reflect on our shared humanity, to reflect on our shared values our shared hopes, our shared fears, 
Sometimes it may take a while until we finally see very clearly that others are basically not different from ourselves. To really see and understand, they have the basic same fears and hopes. To really see and understand that they are human beings like myself. And we just have been in South Africa. Here, another example. Nelson Mandela has been in prison for 27 years. And many have said that these 27 years in prison were a complete waste of time. But the Archbishop Desmond Tutu had said that these 27 years in prison were not wasted time for Nelson Mandela. So this is what Archbishop Desmond Tutu said. Many people may be surprised when I say that these 27 years were necessary for Nelson Mandela. They were necessary to remove the flag. Through the suffering in prison, he became more generous and he was able to listen to the other side. He discovered that those he considered to be his enemies were human beings like himself, with the same fear and expectations. So as long as our sense of ego, for me, I, is strong, then our intellect constructs these forces, constructs these barriers. So then, we only see the rival, or the beloved person, or the enemy, or the benefactor, or the thief, or the murderer. We know human beings do act in harmful and unskillful ways. We cannot deny this. But we should never reduce a person to just one unskillful behavior behind or beyond these unwholesome actions, there is a human being who shares the same basic nature, the same basic wishes, namely to be happy, not wanting to suffer. And so with the practice of metta meditation, we try to connect to other people to other living beings on this very basic level. Understanding that on this 
most basic level, we are not different from the others. Also, the first Hanshin Lama expressed this with these words. He was a monk in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition who lived in the 14th, 15th century. So he said, as far as suffering is concerned, I do not wish to leave. As for happiness, I am never satisfied. I never get enough. In this respect, there is no difference between the others and me. Or, Pema Chetran also puts it very straightforward. She is an American nun ordained in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, and she is the abbess of Gampo Abbey, a monastery in Nova Scotia. She talks of compassion. But we can see compassion as a manifestation of metta in the face of suffering. So she said, compassion becomes real when we recognize our shared humanity. So now, let's go back to the Metta Sutta, where the Buddha tries to encompass all living beings for whom we should cultivate loving kindness. And in the verses 4 and 5, he describes them as follows. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak, or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. So, to imagine or to visualize all living beings is kind of impossible. It's just beyond our ability of, um, to visualize every and each living being. But with this description, with this adjective, adjective Great and the mighty, weak and small, weak, strong, etc. The Buddha helps us to get a sense of these uncountable living beings. I see like an invitation to expand our heart and mind to all living beings, although we cannot see all of these things. 
no way of imagining all of his being. But seeing this as an invitation to include all living beings that that are beyond the range of what we can think of or imagine. <coughs> so the Buddha says, in regards to the living beings, whether they are weak or strong, what do we consider to be a weak living being? Maybe it's a girl or a feeble old grandmother or maybe a baby, whether it's a human baby or an animal baby. Babies usually consider to be weak and helpless. And to expand our loving kindness to weak living beings is not so difficult, I think, because there is something in us that moves us to care what to care for what is weak, to care for what is vulnerable. What do we consider to be strong? Beings. Maybe we have an association of an elephant or a lion or an eagle, a bull. It also might be a strong-minded lady or a very muscular man. Strong might also mean a powerful political leader or strong may be attributed to an activist who perseveres to protect the tropical forest. Then Buddha said in regard to living beings, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, so with these descriptions, the Buddha invited us to envision living beings of all different forms and shapes and sizes. Maybe a giraffe or a rhino, maybe a maidman. Then comes the distinction between the seen and the unseen, or the visible and the invisible beings. And this takes into account that we do not see each living being. Besides the beings we see with our own eyes, there are many beings that we cannot see, because some are so small that our physical eyes can simply not detect it. 
Can they need a microphone or a magnifying glass to see them? Some beings are simply too far away so that we can see them. You know, already the beings in Yongling, in the town. Even, even though we turn our head in the direction of Yongling, knowing to see these beings there. <coughs> but then there might be beings around here in this meditation hall on this compound they are here but still we cannot see them with our physical eyes but some people can see them um, when they have developed a special ability to see them through powerful states of mind um, one can develop such skills. Beings like Deva or Angel, beings like Ghost, Peta, Hungry Ghost, or in Helping. <coughs> then the Buddha distinguishes between beings living near and far away. For the people, the animals living here, let's say this meditation center compound, they are near, we see them from time to time, so they are easy to imagine or to visualize. But then there are other beings living far away living on the other side of the earth. Could be people being in New Zealand or in Europe or some South Pacific Island. And <coughs> you know from our day-to-day experience um, here we see dogs and cats, or at home, maybe we see the lady at uh, the check counter, or a neighbor. So then we know that also on the other side of the world, there are dogs and cats. Or we know also that uh, on the other side of the world, there is a shop on the check counter, and most likely a person. And then Buddha says, those born and to be born. So, up to this point in the Sutta, the Buddha mentions being somewhere uh, living in space. And now, the Buddha invites us to extend our mental extending it in regard to time. 
So we cannot only uh, cultivate loving kindness to people, to living beings who coexist with us now, somewhere in this universe, but we also can extend our loving kindness to beings in the past and to those uh, who are not yet born, who are to be born. So for example, we can think of our grandmother who has passed away. Or we can think of people like Mozart or Alexander the Great who have passed away. And likewise, there are uncountable people and living beings who have lived in the past. And then, as in regards to the future, there are beings who do not exist right now, but who might exist, come into existence tomorrow, in a year's time, or in five months, years' time. You know, we could think of all the animals who will be still around after one week after we have passed away. Or think of all the animals who are still around nowadays but who will be extinct in 200 years. So this Part or this exercise can be a bit mind-boggling. But, you know, we need to surrender to the attempt of trying to imagine each and every uh, living being. But what we can do is to shift the attention to the state benevolence itself to the quality of kindness, of friendliness. As you have heard so many times, to this quality in the heart and mind that just wishes every living being to be happy and well. And then, after mentioning all these different beings, or how we can think of these different beings, the Buddha comes to the punchline. And he says, May all beings be at peace. Just like the reference, May all beings be at peace. May all beings be happy. This is the Hosan. And in our Meta meditation practice, it's this refrain that is repeated over and over and over again. Not necessarily. 
regarding exactly this world. You may have another wish, may all be, be happy and peaceful, or may all beings be free from suffering, may all beings live at ease and in peace. And that's the basic line. And this we repeat again and again and again to really access this deep-seated wish in our heart and mind and to really make this benevolent attitude strong and powerful. <coughs> so during this retreat here, how many times have you already repeated this wish? Hundreds, thousands of times, probably. Earlier in this talk, I mentioned our shared humanity. And how we should see other human beings as human beings with the same basic goals. Same basic goal of wanting to be happy and wanting to avoid suffering. But the Buddha went a step further and said, that we do not only need to set to the cultivate the same benevolent attitude to other humans, but that we should extend to every living being. And so then we could speak of our shared experience as living beings. Many Astronauts have talked about the moment they saw the Earth from out in space. So seeing this planet Earth as a small blue ball in infinite space, seeing this planet without any man-drawn boundaries, and they said that in that moment they recognize the unity of all forms of life on this planet. Nowadays, even scientists have come to realize that our well-being is dependent on the well-being of others, of other living beings. You know, for example, if bees are dying, if there are no bees, then we will not get any apples or mangoes. Unlike the flowers are hand-pollinated by people, as they have to do, for example, in some parts of China. So we need happy and healthy bees for our well-being. 
But as I said before, it's this deluded and self-centered heart and mind that sets up boundaries because it wants to secure our own happiness. But because the mind is deluded, it doesn't see that these very boundaries are actually the cause for us not being truly happy. So the Buddha pointed out the fact that true happiness comes from an open heart that cherishes all living beings. And so that's why he advised us time and again to cultivate a heart and mind that can radiate this boundless goodwill towards all beings. And this is exactly what the practice of like-kindness is all about, what we do. And although the object, the person or the being of our mental meditation change, we try to cultivate or to maintain this quality of loving-kindness trying to maintain the friendliness, the benevolent attitude equally, whether it's our benefactor, or whether it's the neutral person, whether it's the so-called enemy, whether it's an animal, whether it's a being far away, or a being we cannot see. And as you can experience in your own uh, mental practice, you notice that we are able to fall beyond the ordinary range of our friendly attitude. You know, in moments uh, when you are able to radiate kindness towards your difficult thoughts, and it's like, oh my God, it's amazing, I can do this. The heart, the mind is able to feel the same kind of kindness as I do for my brother. <coughs> and so, such moments are inspiring and they give us the patience, the perseverance, and the courage to continue with the practice. Such moments, they let us catch a glimpse of this noble and yet so simple quality of the heart and mind. So the core message of the Metta Sutta points directly to one of the most sublime and powerful aspects of the human nature. Namely, to the ability to be kind, friendly, and loving towards all living beings, 
including ourselves, and without any exception. Ayatema was a German nun, and um, she had passed away some 20 years ago. And she said, <coughs> to love that which is lovable is possible for anyone. It's easy. That is what all the romances, the movies, and the novels are about. To love which is lovable is not a spiritual path, but a worldly endeavor. The purpose of loving-kindness is the purification of heart. So when Ayatema speaks of the purification of heart, I understand it in the sense of purifying the heart from all its limiting boundaries. As a spiritual path, of loving-kindness leaves the worldly level and penetrates deep into the true nature of our heart and mind. So, may we all be able to continue with this noble and at times challenging practice until all the barriers have been torn down, until we see our shared humanity, and until we see that all forms of life deserve our meta, our love and kindness. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.